Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation together. I'll be guiding you guys through the loving-kindness meditation, first starting out with chanting, then moving into breathing mindfulness meditation for a period of time, doing loving-kindness meditation, then going back to some breathing mindfulness meditation, and then finally finishing up with some chanting. So I'd like to welcome all of you and just remind you why we're doing loving kindness meditation and how we're actually doing it. The reason why we do loving kindness meditation is because it transforms the mind away from anger, hatred, and ill will. This is one of the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots. This is where aggression and hostility and aversion, where we kind of push people away that we feel uncomfortable with or even our own uncomfortable feelings. We are always kind of trying to push those away in the unenlightened state. If the mind is feeling uncomfortable or displeased or having any kind of painful feelings, the mind will oftentimes try to push that away most often trying to grasp onto pleasant feelings and craving something pleasant in order to get back to the pleasant feelings. But when you're aware of what the mind's doing, then you can work to actively resolve this and transform it. So rather than allow the mind to dwell in those painful feelings, we can train in breathing mindfulness meditation to eliminate craving desire attachment so that we can minimize craving desire attachment so that anger doesn't ever arise. But then when it actually does arise, you can understand how to deal with that more skillfully and not allow it to come into your speech and your actions. And then over time, through using something like loving kindness meditation on an ongoing, consistent basis, you're not only gradually wearing away the craving desire attachment that is the cause of this arising of painful feelings, but you're also working on eliminating the anger, hatred, and ill will so that you're diminishing that and experiencing that less and less. And then you're also gaining more control over the mind so that then you don't allow these things to come into your speech and your actions to cause harm through the relationships that you have that you can Even though when the mind's angered or frustrated or annoyed, you can be more skillful. You can hold that back. You can restrain the mind and don't allow it to come into your speech and actions where now it's going to start causing harm to your relationships. So I'd like to welcome all of you for coming to learn and understand the Buddhist teachings and this meditation that we're going to do, loving kindness meditation, as we actually do it, what we're going to do is we're going to start with these affirmations. Once we get to the point where we actually do the loving kindness meditation, we'll repeat these four affirmations of may I be peaceful, 
May I be safe, may I be well, and may I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering that it causes. We always start with I because we need to cultivate this loving kindness or this genuine interest for all beings to be well for ourselves first. And this is without judgment. We're not judging others to determine if they deserve our loving kindness. We're not looking at ourself in a negative way with negative self-talk and trying to determine if you deserve loving kindness, but we're just practicing and permeating loving kindness in the mind through meditation so that then in daily life, we'll have more loving kindness directed towards this being who you are right now. And then in our meditation, we'll be expanding these rings further and further, wider and wider to the point where we ultimately include all beings. And in this meditation, since I'm guiding others in meditation, I will use kind of a generic set of rings. I'll make those up as we go and just kind of try to pick some rings that are kind of applicable to all of us. But in your meditation, when you do this on your own, your own practice, you should be doing this based on people that you are looking to support and encourage and develop more loving kindness for uh, maybe your family members your friends uh, beings like this we were talking about pets right before class you can include them as well into your meditation and then as you go you would like to include people who you're challenged with if you have certain anger hatred or ill will towards certain people in your life or certain people in the past that have caused harm in your life that harm and that anger isn't actually helping you to hold on to it so this is the way you can transform some of that resentment some of that hostility you would like to get to a point where you eliminate all of that from the mind in order to get to enlightenment itself so if there's people like that, when you do this on your own, you would like to include them into your meditation. And on Sunday, we had a discussion about chapter 18, which is God's creative action. You have free will. And depending on how you grew up, what communities you're in, what people have taught you, you might actually harbor some anger, hatred, or ill will towards this being of God. And in order to get to enlightenment, you don't necessarily have to have a relationship with God. But you need to eradicate all anger, hatred, and ill will towards any being whatsoever. So if you have that in your mind, you may decide to include that in your loving kindness meditation as its own specific ring when you do this on your own. So today, I'll just, as I mentioned, create something that applies to all of us and ultimately getting to all beings and ensuring that we've covered all beings. We haven't left anybody out whatsoever, starting with I and then ending with all beings and having these successive rings in the middle that get us to the point of all beings. And I'll guide you guys as we go through the meditation from chanting to breathing mindfulness to loving kindness, back to breathing mindfulness, and then back to the chanting. But let me pause before we actually start our meditation because the other thing that this Wednesday class is great for is it's an opportunity for you to ask any questions that you might have about meditation or any other aspect of your practice and we usually open things up at the beginning of class like this and then also at the end of class too so that if there's any questions that you have on anything you're learning as part of this path to enlightenment you have an opportunity to ask those questions the way that you do that is through Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. You just put the questions into the comment section. Our moderators will see that. 
or you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions in Zoom that you would like to ask. So I'll just turn things over to you guys and any questions that you have. Talking about God and love and kindness, how can one cultivate and practice love and kindness towards God? So what you would do is in your meditation, you would include God as a ring wherever you would like to do that as part of your meditation. And remember, when we're doing these affirmations, we're doing them on the out breath. So on the out breath, you would say, may God be peaceful. You know, and then you breathe in, may God be safe. And then you breathe in and then on the out breath, may God be well. And then may God be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. So you include in the meditation and then in your daily life, if thoughts about God come up in your daily life or somebody mentions God or you run across any kind of thing on the Internet or maybe a Bible or a Quran or something like this. If you observe any negativity or any hostility or any aggression coming to the mind, any hatred towards this being of God, you apply right effort to cut that off and let that go. So as part of the Eightfold Path, you should be practicing right mindfulness all the time, which is awareness of mind. And wherever you see that any kind of anger, hatred, or ill will, or even the lesser versions, frustration, irritation, annoyance, related to this being of God, then you cut that off and let it go. And you arise this loving kindness or this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. Because there are some people who just, if you're in a conversation and somebody says the word God, they can get really angry and really hostile about this, depending on what their background has been. So if you are experiencing that, or if you even have quiet hatred in the mind, just when you maybe see something on the news or maybe you drive by a church or something like this, you should always be thinking loving kindness, this genuine interest for all beings to be well. And God is one of those beings. So you don't have to have a relationship. You don't even have to believe that God exists. But if you're involved in any conversations or if you see something related to God and you observe hatred or ill will or any anger arise, you need to cut that off, let it go, and then arise this loving kindness towards this being. And just may you be well, right? May you be well, God. Not that you necessarily need to have a relationship. Just like people in your life, you might have a father or a mother or a grandfather or grandmother or a brother or a sister, or somebody in your life who you've learned that it's not wise for you maybe at this time to have a relationship with that person and you've chosen to step back. The same thing is you're interested in having a genuine interest in seeing this being be well and not harboring any hatred, anger, ill will. You're choosing not to have a relationship with them, but you don't have any anger, hatred, or ill will towards them. So the same thing with this being of God is you can choose to not have a relationship with God, but you're not interested in harboring any anger, hatred, or ill will or those lesser versions because that's just going to pollute the mind. And it's not going to just come up in relationship to God. It's going to come up in relationship to other people as well. So that's why you need to fully uproot this unwholesome root of anger, hatred, and ill will in reference to all beings. Well, I'm curious to ask about how does God practice love and kindness towards humans and all beings? 
Based on my experience, God's purpose is to help us to attain enlightenment. If we choose to have that relationship and we choose to develop that relationship, it's not something that's required. Someone can have a relationship or someone maybe doesn't have a relationship. It's completely optional. It's not something that you're required to do. But if you chose to have a relationship with God, there is the ability for God to provide us wisdom and guidance as part of this path. As you're going throughout your day, if you're working on eliminating the pollution of mind, you're improving your wisdom, you're improving your moral conduct, you're improving your mental discipline, you're developing this relationship with God, there's wisdom that comes into the mind that it's almost like this fatherly advice or this grandfatherly advice. And like I mentioned on Sunday, you still don't just latch onto it and be like, oh, that was from God. Let me just do what God says. That would not be wise because that could be your thought. But oftentimes as you go, you'll experience this wisdom that you know isn't from you. It's not something that you've ever learned before. It's not something you've ever been exposed to. It's not something that you ever understood. And you'll hear this kind of fatherly advice kind of in the mind. And there, when you get that advice, you still need to practice what is being shared with you to determine the truth or not. So you don't just experience this insight and this wisdom and then just run off and feel like this is a commandment from God. Thou shalt must do what God says. That's not the way you should treat this being. Instead, when you experience this fatherly wisdom, this fatherly advice, you should look at it as a teacher as somebody who's sharing guidance with you. And just like I've taught you not to believe anything that I say or anything that I teach or anything that I put in books, you don't believe it, but instead you learn it, you reflect and you practice to see the truth for yourself. And you do the same exact thing with this fatherly advice from God as well. On Zoom, we have a question from Kyla. She writes, I have a friend who has withdrawn from talking to all of your friends after starting a new relationship. We have heard that who she is dating has not been kind to his previous girlfriends. I do not have a craving to be her friend permanently. However, I have concern for this friend. What is the most loving, kind thing to do? Keep reaching out or let her be? You can reach out occasionally. You know, you can drop by, you can invite her out to some food and things like this. But if you're just hearing no, 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 no repeatedly, then at some point, you know, you have to just let go and just realize, okay, she's off in that direction. And that might be something she does for a while. And if the relationship continues and that's just the direction she's going, but if it ends at some point, she may end up coming back in and being more present with you and and your other friends. So you can offer invitations occasionally, but then if you're just seeing that you're just hearing no frequently, you know, four, five, six, eight times, then eventually you just have to kind of let go and just realize, all right, she's on her own journey and she's making her own choices. She's an adult and all you've got to do is let go and allow her to make her own choices. And that's where the mind becomes liberated in that topic, right? Because if there's craving, desire, attachment, and we feel like we have to save her and we have to keep going and keep going and keep going and our mind is just 
clinging and holding on, then the mind isn't liberated. It's just constantly worried about our friend. And this is where we just experience these worried feelings over and over again. So as a being with loving kindness, as a being with compassion, you make attempts, but then you realize she's making her own choices. And then all you've got to do is train your mind to let go and understand that she's on her own journey. And then that's where you can be liberated from that. And you know, like, okay, I don't need to hold on here. I don't have to keep pushing. I don't have to keep grabbing onto her. I can let go. And that's completely fine because she's making her own choices. A question from Marcy. She writes, thoughts coming up while practicing singleness of the mind through the day. Do you just cut off as you do when practicing breathing mindfulness meditation? Yeah, so... In breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cutting off all thoughts because that's our training. We're trying to train the mind to easily let go of thoughts. You're not going to ever eliminate the thoughts in meditation, but you're training the mind to have that mindfulness, awareness of mind, the singleness of mind or right concentration, and to make it easier and easier to let go of any thoughts that come up. But then in daily life, you're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts. So if you have a wholesome thought that comes up, then that's something that you can do. You know, if you're like, you know, I'd like to take my cat to a photo shoot. I'd like to get some pictures for the holidays and put a silly Santa Claus hat on her and send it out to my friends. Okay, there's no harm in that. You know, go do that if you would like to do it. But, you know, not that you would think this way, but if you had the thought of let me kill this cat um, because it's clawing up all my furniture, that's what you would like to cut off and let go of because that's the anger, hatred, ill will arising. So any unwholesomeness that arises in the mind, that's what you cut off and let go. And then the wholesome thoughts, you can think about those. As long as we're alive, we're going to have thoughts. And the more pollution that we move out of the mind, the more craving, anger, and ignorance that we move out, the more it makes space for these wholesome thoughts to come into the mind. This is where people who are close to enlightenment or enlightened beings, they can actually be really successful in life, successful in terms of relationships and if they're needing to make money, you know, make money. Because when I say successful, I don't mean just money, but people who are enlightened or close to enlightenment can be very successful in life because they've removed this pollution and they're having all these wholesome thoughts that are coming to the mind and they can pursue those. So like an artist, could really be very creative in terms of what they deliver as artwork through having removed the pollution of mind. They're now able to bring forth more creativity, more ability to conduct themselves in a way that they can dedicate time to their art, for example. Or if somebody's a stay-at-home parent, they're going to be more present with their children and be able to focus on caring for their children more. Or if someone's involved in charity or volunteer work, they're going to be able to focus on that more. Because if you guys have ever thought about all the time that you've ever spent angry or frustrated or irritated or crying or feeling miserable or sad, all that takes up so much time in our life. And when the mind's not burdened with that, we can actually use that to spend time with our friends and family and be really successful in our relationships, including personal and professional relationships. So all you're doing in daily life in terms of the thoughts is you're cutting off the unwholesome thoughts and allowing the wholesome thoughts to come if they come and then you can decide to pursue those or not depending on what's coming to the mind 
Thanks, teacher. No more questions for now. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get ready for meditation. Go ahead and get in your position. If you're doing seated position, you can do that on the floor or in a chair. If you're on the floor, you probably would like to put something under your rear in order to get the butt up in the air, and that'll lessen the angle at the hips, the knees, and the ankles. And then with the hands and arms, you can just rest those comfortably in your lap. The Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together. But if that's not comfortable for you, you can put your palms on your thighs or on your knees, or you can put them on the armrest of the chair, whatever is comfortable for you. The lower body and the hands and arms should be completely relaxed with no engagement of the muscles whatsoever. The upper body should be erect. This will keep the mind attentive and alert during the meditation so that now you can actively train the mind. Meditation is a dedicated, active, purposeful training session. So we would like to keep the mind attentive and alert during the meditation so we can do this work. And the way to do that is keeping your upper body erect. That will keep the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Not real rigid, but not slouched either. Just comfortable in the middle. So not luxurious and not very painful either, not really uptight, just in the middle, nice and comfortable. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation. You're welcome to join along if you've been learning these and you'd like to chant along. And then afterwards, I'll come back with some more guidance to help you with breathing mindfulness meditation and then move into loving kindness meditation. Samma samhuto 
विचाचारण समुनो सखातो रोकावितो अनुतेरो पुरीसा दामासाती सातातावा मानुसनं भूतो पाकवाती Okay, you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Should be a nice gradual breath. Breathing in, experiencing the full breath. and out, experiencing the full exhale. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match to the guidance that I'm providing. This is here just to help remind you to breathe in wherever you get to the next inhale. And reminding you to breathe out nice and gradual. Breathing in and out. Now with the breath established, start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in. In, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, anytime you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. I'm going to be quiet and let you do this work, focusing the mind on the breath. And anytime the mind is off the breath, you cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Then I'll come back with some guidance for loving kindness meditation. Breathing in. In, out.
Continuing to breathe in through the nose. And out through the nose. On the next out breath, repeat these affirmations. May I be peaceful. safe. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May they be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all beings in the heavenly realm be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all beings in the afflicted spirit's realm be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
may all beings in the animal realm be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. beings in the realm of hell be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well.
may they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath. Anytime the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go. Come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in.
your way out of meditation. Just kind of ease the mind out. All right, so what I'll do then is just kind of open things back up for any questions that you guys might have regarding anything along this path, whether it's meditation or the Eightfold Path, the, the Five Precepts, the Three Poisons, anything about any aspect of this path that you guys would like to discuss, you can ask any and all questions. You just put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or if you're in uh, Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Well, uh, if someone had made some unwholesome decisions in the past, and one is not able to forgive themselves for what they had done in the past, can loving kindness meditation help in this situation? Absolutely. It definitely can. I mean, there needs to be breathing mindfulness meditation. That's 
a constant, a steady, that has to be there because the problem, even with what you're describing, is the mind is holding on, right? The mind's holding on to this past experience, and now there's this mind that's just kind of beating yourself up about it over and over and over again. So the breathing mindfulness meditation will help the mind let go, let go, let go, and that's gradually training the mind through gradual training, gradual practice, there's gradual progress, but then also to wear away any kind of uh, resentment that you might have even towards your own self for things that you've done in the past. Loving kindness meditation can help you to build your love and your kindness and your gratitude, appreciation for this being that you are right now. So if you're holding on to any kind of hostility or aggression or resentment towards yourself, it can help you to eliminate that, you know, that negative self-talk that's oftentimes in the mind that gets eradicated as you get closer and closer to enlightenment and the mind's actually enlightened. Enlightened beings don't have negative self-talk in the mind. So it's breathing mindfulness meditation that you can cut that off and let it go easier and easier. Then loving kindness comes in and permeates the mind towards this being. But then in daily life, you need to actively work the Eightfold Path that wherever you observe these resentful thoughts or these harmful thoughts, you apply right effort to cut those off and let them go and arise this loving kindness. So the meditation, the way that I think about it is it's it's like filling up the gas tank. You know, you're going on this long journey and you'd like to fill up this gas tank. And as you're on this journey, there's going to be challenges that are occurring. And that's where when you observe those challenges with mindfulness, that awareness of mind, you observe those unwholesome qualities coming into the mind, you then apply right effort to cut it off, let it go, and then arise the wholesome qualities. So whether you're sitting in a chair, you're on a walk, you're on a drive, you're just dozing off to sleep, or you're waking up in the morning, the Buddha talks about not tolerating any kind of craving, anger, and ignorance, obliterating it at the stump, not tolerating it. Because if we tolerate this craving, anger, and ignorance coming into the mind, then the mind is complacent. It's not being determined, dedicated, and diligent. So through practicing that enlightenment factor of energy, where the mind has this motivation and this encouragement to do something and take action, then you apply this enlightenment factor of energy to apply the full practice of the Eightfold Path, particularly practicing right mindfulness and cutting things off and letting it go as part of right effort and then bringing in the wholesome qualities into the mind as well so don't only focus on letting go of the unwholesome you need to understand the complete opposite so that you can arise that wholesome quality which further helps to push out the unwholesome quality well if someone is not causing if someone is not putting harm into the world for others but causing harm for themselves Do you consider this a a decision or an action that go against love and kindness? Yeah, if you're having unwholesome thoughts towards your own self, this is not having loving kindness for all beings. So, you know, we can work ourselves in the unenlightened state into situations where we might be contemplating harming this being that you are now. And where you see that arise, you then, once again, you have that mindfulness, that awareness of mind, and then you apply right effort to cut that off and let it go. So sometimes the difficult experiences that we've had in the past can arise these painful feelings. And 
a person who's untrained and unaware of where these painful feelings are coming from, oftentimes the only way that they think to get out of this situation is maybe harm this being that you are right now. Maybe people have contemplated suicide in the past. But if you know what the problem is and that it's craving that's causing this problem, then you can take active steps to resolve it. Because one of the reasons why people oftentimes harm themselves is they really don't want to die. They just really want the pain to stop and they don't know how to make the pain stop. But when you learn the Buddhist teachings and you understand why the pain is coming into the mind, which is craving, desire, attachment, and you know what the antidote to that is, and you understand the solution of mindfulness or awareness of mind and cutting off and letting it go with right effort, now you have something you can actually do instead of just sitting there allowing the mind to obsess about these harmful things to do to this being that you are right now. Instead of just sitting there dwelling in that obsession, you can take active steps. You can walk outside. You can go for a walk. You can get some fresh air. You can meditate. You can play with your animals if you have pets. You can call up a friend. You can do other things. This helps to redirect the mind towards something positive. But again, when we don't know these things, when we have that ignorance or that unknowing of true reality, we just sit there and dwell in the painful feelings and we don't know how to make it stop. So part of what the Buddhist path is doing is it's helping you to build confidence because you gain this wisdom and now you have confidence of how to live this life, this better way of life, and you can take action towards improving the condition of the mind because now you understand the wisdom of how to do that, where in the past you may not have. John has a question. She writes, thank you, teacher David. When peaceful feelings and loving kindness arises, can we let this continue during breathing mindfulness or should we let go of these feelings as well? You can. So if you're in loving kindness meditation and you're really permeating the loving kindness and you really feel it flowing in the mind, you don't have to go back to breathing mindfulness if you're not interested to do that. This is kind of the progression that I usually do. But that breathing mindfulness at the end is to help anybody who has had anger or hatred or ill will arise during the loving kindness meditation. Because it's oftentimes when you're tapping into that during loving kindness meditation, it can actually arise some anger, hatred or ill will. So you can kind of put breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside in order to cut that off and let it go. But if you really got the juices flowing with the loving kindness in the mind, there's no reason to go back to the, the, the breathing mindfulness. You can just keep that permeating in the mind throughout the remaining part of your meditation. And then if you decide to do chanting, go back to chanting from there. So you don't have to cling to this set structure that I'm sharing in terms of this meditation. You can let go of that breathing mindfulness meditation at the end and just allow the loving kindness just to continue to permeate in the mind. Marcy has a question. Struggle to cut off thoughts. Then my eyes open and I'm out of meditation. What should I do? Try to get back into meditation? Yeah, if you're in meditation and you observe that the eyes open and you kind of lose your focus or maybe you had an itch and you kind of opened your eyes and itched or maybe one of your animals walked by and brushed you and kind of uh, you 
broke out of your meditation, then try to go right back into it. Just realize like, okay, that's impermanent. The cat brushed by me or I had a thought that startled me and took me out of meditation. Just let it go and then go right back into it. No need to do chanting to go back into it. You just open your eyes and realize, oh, that was a cat. Okay, no big deal. Let it go. Back to meditation. And then more and more, when these things happen around you, you won't break out of your meditation. But at any point that you do, you just go right back into the meditation. The second, fa- second part of Mercy question. Also, as strong doings seem to be the thought that sent me out of meditation. Yeah, this is uh, actually not necessarily a bad thing, where if you're observing that you're having thoughts or memories of things that happened in the past that you did that were unwholesome, the Buddha calls this moral wrongdoing and moral concern. That if you have kind of an aptitude or an awareness of what is wrongdoing in the world, unwholesomeness, this is called moral wrongdoing, that you have this understanding of what's right and what's wrong or what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. And then the moral concern is, you know, I don't really like the fact that I did those things in the past and I would like to no longer do those anymore. Let me improve my conduct so I no longer do those things. This is actually really good for the mind. These are qualities that the Buddha, he calls them a wealth. He actually calls them like a wealth, the wealth of moral wrongdoing and the wealth of moral concern because you need these on board in order to be motivated to actually get to enlightenment. Whereas if you didn't know what was wholesome and unwholesome and you had no awareness of that whatsoever and you didn't have moral concern where you were concerned that you had done unwholesome things, then there's no motivation to get to enlightenment where some of us at some points in our life, we didn't have moral wrongdoing and we didn't have moral concern. And that's what I talk about when we're just walking through the forest, knocking down trees, burning up the forest. We're just doing all these things. We don't really you know, know necessarily what's right or wrong. And even if we did, we don't really care because it's all about us. But now when you're on this path and you, you start looking at things differently and you start understanding what's wholesome, what's unwholesome, that's the moral wrongdoing. And then you understand that, hey, I'm not interested in doing those unwholesome things anymore. I'm interested in moving closer and closer to the light or to enlightenment and improving my conduct. So that's really good. And if you observe that the mind comes out of meditation for that, then once again, you just cut it off, let it go and go right back into meditation. And this is good training for the mind because then not only in meditation are you doing this, but then in daily life, when you're driving, when you're walking, when you're at work, when you're in a conversation with a friend and an unwholesome thought from the past comes up, just cut it off and let it go. And then you get better and better at this because you're training at it in meditation. Let's go to Miranda for Facebook questions. Yes, sir. Um, on Facebook, um, the question is, Venerable Teacher, some of my friends say that during meditation, thoughts come and go, but the observer or the witness of the thoughts remains still. So I am that observer or witness or subject, but not the object. How can this be explained to them, this in context of wrong view? Okay, so the Buddha talked about this in kind of like three aspects, right? He he talks about the five aggregates, which makes a human being a human being. These are things like the physical form, our feelings, our perceptions, our volitional formations, or what's called choices and decisions, and the consciousness or the mind. This is what makes a living being a living being. 
But in terms of breaking that down even to a smaller subset, based on what you're talking about, is the Buddha talks about this physical form and this mind and then the person. These are three things, right? So there's this physical form, the physical body, there's the mind, and then there's this person, which is the third thing. So during meditation, the person is training the mind and you need the body to be comfortable in order to get to the mind. And this person is what is training the actual mind. And when the thoughts are coming up in meditation, they should be cutting those off and letting them go, coming back to the breath. Oftentimes what's being taught in various places is that you should observe the thoughts, you should label the thoughts, you should try to figure out where they're coming from, you should kind of follow the thought or indulge the thought. This isn't what the Buddha actually taught. What the Buddha taught is when the thought comes up, you cut it off and let it go and come back to the breath. You don't judge it, you don't label it, you don't try to figure out where it came from, you don't indulge the thought, you don't follow the thought. If the mind's doing that now, then it's undisciplined. The person isn't able to control the mind because the mind is just in la-la land wandering around and the person's like, okay, go ahead, you can just go wherever you like. This is kind of like having a dog without a leash. And sometimes we enjoy walking our dogs without a leash, but that dog has a mind of its own. And if it sees a rabbit, it's going to bolt. It's going to be gone, right? So it's wise to ensure there's this leash here to restrain the mind. And that's what the breath is. The breath is that post or that pillar that when the mind wants to wander off the breath, you pull it back and you pull it back. So the person has to be observant of that and be able to do that. So be sure that if you're going to practice or if you your friends are asking you for advice and would like to understand how you do meditation, this is the way that you should do it. Focus on the breath. When the mind's off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. And then just get better and better at that where you observe more and more readily that the mind is off the breath. And then it's more and more easy to come back to the breath, meaning the mind is been better trained to let go of whatever it was holding on to. Thank you, sir. Okay. Well, what's the best way to practice love and kindness towards a life partner, children, neighbors, or even a pet animal? Okay, so once you're cultivating loving kindness regularly in your meditation, then what you should be doing also is you should be practicing those other parts of the Eightfold Path like right intention, right speech, and right action. Part of right intention, there's three aspects to it. Renunciation or letting go. There's practicing non-ill will or the intention of loving kindness, of goodwill. And then there's the intention of harmlessness. So if your intentions going out in the world is that you're not gonna hold on to things, you're gonna let things go and just let things flow and you're practicing the intention of non-ill will or loving kindness, and you're practicing the intention of harmlessness, that's the thoughts, that's the thinking, that's what you're looking to practice in terms of the mind. Now in your speech, your speech emanates from the right intentions. Right speech emanates from right intention. So if you've got a right intention of renunciation, non-ill will and harmlessness, now your speech can be along those same lines. And there's five factors of well-spoken speech that the Buddha gave. 
speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you speak gently, you speak beneficially, and with a mind of loving kindness. So there's loving kindness showing up again, not only in right intention, but it's showing up in right speech as well. So that's why we're cultivating it in meditation, so that now in your intentions and your speech, you can now start speaking to people polite, kind, friendly, and respectful through the five factors of well-spoken speech. And then you can also bring that into your actions or your right actions so that you're not only not harming through your intentions, you're not harming through your speech or your communication, and you're not harming through your bodily actions either. And the Buddha gave guidance on how to not harm through our bodily actions, things like not killing, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct. Those are the first three that's part of the Eightfold Path. But then when you look deeper in his teachings, you can see things like not taking substances that cause heedlessness. You can see that he talked about not gambling, which is a bodily action that causes harm. He never said, you know, don't walk up to somebody and punch them in the face. But if we understand right action, that it's all about not causing harm through our bodily actions, then we know that that wouldn't be wise. So sometimes what people like to do is they like to take the Buddhist teachings and follow it kind of like the letter of the law, kind of thinking of it like a law, but it's not that. You need to get in touch with the level of detail that the Buddha is teaching, but you also need to bubble it out too. So right intention, speech, and actions, it's your thinking, your verbal conduct, and your bodily conduct. That's at a high level. But then he drills that down in other parts of his teachings, giving you exact examples. But he's not going to give you every single example. So he never says anywhere in his teachings, don't walk up to someone and punch them in the face. But you learn as part of life that if you do that, that's going to cause harm and harm's going to come back to you if you do that. And that falls under right action, bodily actions, not harming through our thoughts, through our speech, our communication, and through our actions. So practicing loving kindness, as you're meditating with loving kindness, now you go out into the world and you practice having intention, speech, and actions that are wholesome, that are emanating from this loving kindness. Because no matter how much meditation we did, if we went out into the world with unwholesome intention, speech, and actions, your life's gonna be very challenging. It's gonna be very difficult because the people that you're interacting with, if you're having anger and hatred and ill will through your intentions, your speech and your actions, all that's coming back to you through the relationships that you have with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers and others. So what you're doing is transforming the mind in meditation to transform it, to have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. But then you need to bring that into your daily life through your intentions, speech, and actions. And that's where you start observing that your personal and professional relationships really blossom because you're no longer aggressive and hostile and angry towards people. You're no longer resentful. You're having intention, speech, and actions that are wholesome. And now your relationships gradually improve. Since you mentioned the right speech, would you be kind to share more details about it, speaking at the right time or proper time? Sure. So when we talk about right time, there's different aspects to this. 
One is, of course, we're not interested in interrupting people. Because if we interrupt people, you've been interrupted before, you don't like it. So if you interrupt others, they're not going to like that either. And oftentimes when we're interrupting people, it's because of our own craving, desire, attachment. We really want to talk about something really badly. So there's this craving in there that's motivating this unskillful behavior of interrupting people. So that's one aspect of it, is ensuring that you're not interrupting people. The other aspect to it is that you would like to understand the condition of your mind. If your mind's angry or frustrated or irritated or, you know, you have all this discontentedness in the mind, you would like to be sure that you're not speaking at that time because that would be the wrong time. It's not the proper time to talk when you've got discontentedness in the mind. So you would like to calm the mind down, relax it if you're at work or you're having a personal conversation and some discontentedness arises because you're unenlightened and that's going to happen, then with mindfulness, you're aware of that discontentedness and now you're like, okay, I need to go talk to the administrative staff at my school or I need to go talk to my husband or my wife or my children or my neighbor. It's not the right time. I'm really angry that they did whatever. I'm really angry about that. Let me let that go. And that might take a few hours. It might take a few days. It might take a few weeks before you can have that conversation. But if you don't have this craving, desire, attachment to have the conversation, then you can put this on pause because you know it would be unwise to speak with anybody with anger in the mind or any of these other discontent feelings because it's only going to motivate unskillful speech, for example. So the second aspect to that right time is ensuring that your mind is in a place where it's in the middle, it's calm, it's peaceful, it's serene, it maybe has some joy in there that you can more peacefully talk to this person. And then the third aspect that I think about in terms of right time is when you're practicing more and more to a higher degree, you can be considering, is it the right time for the person that I'm speaking to? Is their mind in a condition that this is a wise time to have this conversation? Did your husband or wife just walk in the door from a hard day at work? It's the wrong time to talk to them about financial concerns or talk to them about major issues that are going on. Probably the only thing you'd like to say at that point is, hello, how are you? Welcome. Glad to see you. You know, lots of hugs, lots of kisses or what have you, right? Uh, So you might have to, with very major topics, you might have to Ask your partner or your children or your coworkers or your boss to sit down and ask them, is this a good time to talk about something pretty significant? And when you start to determine that it's the right time for the other person to talk, then that's going to ensure that you're really speaking in a way that's the proper time. You're not interrupting. Your mind is nice and calm and peaceful. It's in the middle. There's no discontentedness whatsoever. And the other person's mind is also calm and in the middle. And they're ready to talk about something important, for example, or something that is maybe going to create excitement in their mind. You would like them to be calm. You're not interested in them arising a bunch of excitement. So you might be sure to kind of sit down with them. And by having all three of these aspects of right time, then you're ensuring that you're practicing that factor fully and that will only contribute to a very beneficial and healthy conversation. Hey, thanks, Richard. On YouTube, we have a question from Teresia Dokenza. Hello, David. I have read recently meditation is what leads to the jhanas. Can you please explain? 
it's actually all the Eightfold Path that leads to the jhanas. It's not just meditation. A lot of people think it's only meditation. And there'll even be people that will teach you jhana meditation. But it's actually all the factors of the Eightfold Path that lead to the jhanas. So the jhanas are these four preliminary phases that the mind experiences before it gets to the first stage of enlightenment. And in order to get to the jhanas, yes, there needs to be meditation, but you also need all those other aspects of the Eightfold Path. You need right view, you need right intention, you need right speech, right action, right livelihood, you need right effort, right mindfulness, and then right concentration is meditation itself and practicing singleness of mind. So all of these things actually culminate into the jhanas or what we call right concentration. Right concentration, while it's practicing singleness of mind, it's practicing meditation, it's also a byproduct of practicing all the other factors of the path. So if you were just meditating, for example, and you weren't practicing right speech and right action, and you were harmful in your speech and actions, you're not going to see the jhanas. So this is a misunderstanding that we see in the world that a lot of people think the jhanas are just meditation, but it's actually everything. So you would like to practice all eight factors of the path. And as you do, you will see the qualities that the Buddha describes as part of the four jhanas. He describes them very detailed and he explains the various qualities of mind that you're going to experience as the mind's moving into these jhanas. And the jhanas are meant to be temporary and they're quite a difference between an unenlightened mind that's off the path and an unenlightened mind that's in the jhanas. It's almost like night and day, which you start experiencing as the mind gets more tranquility, more peacefulness, you get equanimity there, the discontentedness starts to diminish and you start observing that. There's many aspects that you can observe that, wow, you really can experience that the mind is functioning in a way that it didn't function previous to learning these teachings. But it, that's why it takes all the factors of the path in order to get to the jhanas because you need to clean up all those various aspects of your life practice. Yeah, thanks, That's all for today. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class and thank you all for your questions. Thank you to Bassam and Miranda for moderating. Miranda's joined our moderation team here. She's getting her legs under her to start learning how to moderate. So we really appreciate her support during these classes. And next Sunday, this Sunday coming up, we're going to be in chapter 19, which is titled The Difficult Human Existence, Sickness, Aging, and Death. Here we're going to be talking about the life story of the Buddha. And we're going to talk about these three very challenging aspects of this human existence, which is sickness, aging, and death. Oftentimes with these, we experience a lot of discontentedness, whether it's our own sickness, aging, and death, or whether it's other people around us who are close to us observing their sickness, aging, and death. There can be a lot of discontentedness around this. So these are the things that actually motivated the Buddha to attain enlightenment, is that he observed sickness, aging, and death in his kingdom, and he was interested to understand why this was happening and why people's minds were so discontent during this period, and ultimately he figured it out. So not only are we going to talk about the Buddha's life story, but we're going to talk about these three things and helping you to understand how to maintain contentedness when either you or someone that's close to you is struggling with sickness, aging, and death. 
Then on Wednesday, next week, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation as part of our group learning program to come together to support, encourage, and motivate each other in breathing mindfulness meditation. So thank you all for your questions. Thank you again to the moderators for your support. Thank you all for choosing to be dedicated and diligent in your active study and practice of the Buddhist teachings because as you improve the condition of the mind, your life, the life of those close to you, and then thus all of humanity will just continue to get better and better. So thank you for your contribution to your own practice. We'll see you in a future class. Have a really lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.